Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Heartland. If we've not had the chance to meet yet, uh, my name is Nick Shesky. I'm an associate pastor here, and I actually have the privilege of getting to uh, work with our next-gen team, really help lead our next-gen team. That's uh, kids as young as like six weeks old all the way up through 12th grade. And I just got to tell you, it's the greatest privilege getting to work alongside, come on, parents, you and your kids and your families. And man, this church loves your family. I hope you know that. Uh, man, we really, really do. And hey, I want to say a big welcome to everyone who's joining us online today. Uh, extra big welcome to our senior pastor, Pastor Darren, who is watching online today from the country of Sierra Leone, everybody. Come on, help me welcome him today. Glad that you're here with us. Uh, you need to come home. I got a two-month-old or a two-year-old two that is going nuts and needs to see his paws. So come home and come uh, babysit him. But hey, we're going to jump into today. Uh, we, we've been in a series since the beginning of the year. Really, really, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer since the beginning of the year, uh, diving into this idea that when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are changed from the inside out. Uh, and we've been stopping over the last couple weeks in a series called Red Flags uh, and looking at one part of the Lord's Prayer in particular. If you've been with us, I hope you know it by now. Uh, but it's this. It says, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. This relational hinge of, of God, let your measure of forgiveness to me be directly correlated to how well I forgive other people. In the entirety of the series, we've been stopping and we've been realizing that, man, relationships matter to the heart of God. The greatest commandment in all of scripture, right? It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then there's an and. So it's like, not they're, like they're together and love your neighbor as yourself. Relationships matter to the heart of God. So we've been stopping it really each season of life that we find ourselves in and asking the question, how do I live relationally healthy in every single season that I find myself in? Uh, and today, as we continue in this, I want to talk about the biggest red flag of them all. Like of all the red flags, this is the red flag that stands above them all. If you're in a season of single dating, you're engaged, you're married, you don't know which season you're in, but you're in one of those seasons in there. This is a red flag for all seasons. And quite honestly, this is the one that if this starts showing up, man, we need to raise some alarm bells and we need to call some people and we need to take our car in and get it checked because the dashboard's lighting up with all the different uh, indicators that are going on right now. I want to talk today about the red flag of an unforgiving spirit, of an unforgiving spirit. Really, another way you could say this, I want to talk today about forgiveness. And the title of this message, if you're following on, if you're taking notes, awesome. If you're not taking notes, reconsider it. Take some notes. You're going to need this for later in the week. I guarantee it. Uh, the title of the message today is this, better, not bitter. Better, not bitter. Um, I, I would Imagine that if I went around this room with a microphone and I asked you the question and just said, hey, which of these two words do you want to define your life? I really don't believe that there'd be anybody in here that'd be like, you know what? Bitterness. Sign me up for bitterness. I want to be bitter. I've seen it work so well in other people's lives. That's exactly what I want. No, I think all of us would choose better because reality is we all know some bitter people, right? Y'all know some bitter people. This is a test. Some of you are like locked on at me, not looking at the person that you came with today. Uh, good call. We know some bitter people. I, 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 I'll tell you this. This happens to me every once in a while. I had the privilege of playing college football, and I'll tell people sometimes, hey, I played college football, and before I can even finish the sentence, they'll start telling me about their high school football career, and they'll start telling me about, man, you know what? Like, if coach had just put me in the fourth quarter, we, we would have won a state championship. It would have been awesome. I would have played college football. You'd be sitting in a hot tub with my soulmate soaking it up. You know, like, it's Uncle Rico. If you never saw Napoleon Dynamite, that's what that is. You're welcome. <laughs> Some of you are like, where have I heard that before? I've heard that before. Outdated reference. Okay, let me give you another example. Uh, how many of you in here have ever hired somebody before in some capacity? You've interviewed somebody before. 
How many of you have ever raised your hand in church before? How about that? Anybody? Yeah, okay, great. Wake up. We got the hour back. We're okay. Here we, here we go. How many of you have ever interviewed somebody before? There we go. What's a fair question that we can ask? Hey, tell me about your previous employer. Tell me about your previous employer. Can I tell you? I don't give a rip about your previous employer. I care about how you're going to talk about your previous employer, right? If I get in there and the person starts going, man, it was crazy. They made me work all these crazy hours from nine to five every single day. Maybe you respond to emails. It was nuts. You know, I guarantee you this. You come work for me. We're going to disagree at some point. Why? Because I'm a bad boss. No, because you're carrying some bitterness with you. And it's only a matter of time until I offend you in some capacity and I become the boss that you're talking about, right? Come on, all of us, we know some people that are stuck with some bitterness from yesterday, whether it's, you know, 10 years ago, whether it's 15 years ago, 20 years ago, some of us, it's bitterness from like last week and it's still following us around where we go. And the reality is it's fun to, you know, make fun of people and and to do that kind of stuff. Reality is I know two things. One, every single person in here has been hurt at some point in their life. You've been hurt at some point, whether directly, indirectly, somebody has said something to you, withheld something from you, they've intentionally hurt you, maybe they've unintentionally hurt you. We've all experienced hurt in some capacity. And the second truth that I know is this, is that every single one of us has a hard time forgiving. Whether you would admit it or not, every single one of us has a hard time letting go of the stuff that has happened to us in our past, the stuff that shapes us and molds us. And I know that when we talk about this idea of forgiveness, and really we talk about the spirit of unforgiveness, it can create and stir up emotions within us that we didn't even know that we have. I'll tell you, one of the things I get to do is I get to work with high schoolers for a living. And can I tell you, anytime we talk about forgiveness or forgiving other people, there's usually a caveat that comes that says, Nick, that's great, but you don't know what they did to me. Like, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know the pain that that person caused me. Like, you don't know about all the people that have been Snapchatting about me and putting it all out for everybody else to see. Nick, you don't know about the gossip that's been said about me. You don't know about the heartbreak that I've experienced. Come on, this isn't just teenagers. I've sat with parents before. I say, well, man, I I really, you know, I want to forgive my spouse, but I can't. Come on, let's talk about this. We talked about marriage last weekend. And come on, I've talked with a number of different people over the last week that would say, Nick, that was a great message, but I can't even entertain the idea of working on my marriage because I'm so angry. I'm so mad at what my spouse put me and my kids through. Come on, I don't know what your offense is. I don't know what the grudge is. I don't know what unforgiveness is still holding on to you. Maybe it came in the form of somebody that you were seeking their approval your entire life. And come on, they never gave it to you. I remember a couple years ago, I sat with a teenage boy and in this weird moment of clarity for a teenager, he was able to look at me and say, you know what? I've worked so hard for my dad's approval. Like I've gone after it and I've tried it and I played the stupid sport he wanted me to play and I was on the honor roll and I did everything that I could to try to make him love me and I just can't win my dad's approval. So you know what? Screw him. I'm done trying to go get it. I'm done. Come on, this is real, right? Every single one of us has been hurt in some capacity and the emotion and the pain is real. And I just want to acknowledge it for a second and I'm so sorry that that's happened to you. And I know that the pain is real and I know that the trauma feels real. And so when we talk about forgiveness, sometimes there's this question that gets raised of, Nick, that's, that's great. It's like a general forgiveness message. Yes, forgive, you know, the mailman for not putting the mail all the way inside my mailbox. Like, thank, okay, thank you for, for not closing it when you drive away. But no, no, no. How do I forgive something that feels unforgivable? Like, how do I move on from something that feels like I can't forgive? Like, how do I forgive people? Like, how do I do it? And can I ask you, if you've ever asked that question before, you are in really good company. 
Because reality is the disciples of Jesus, the people that spent the most time with Jesus, actually asked him this question. In the book of Matthew, chapter 18, where we're going to spend some time today, Peter came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, seven times doesn't seem like that big of a deal to us. Jewish tradition was that if someone offended you or did something against you, you forgave them three times. You fool me once? Okay, I forgive you. Second time, I'll forgive you. Third time, yo, this is the last time. And then after this, now I get to treat you with contempt and hold you at a distance and not forgive you and not extend forgiveness. And so look at just, look at, look at, we do this. Come on, Bible's full of humor in this. He goes, how about seven times? Peter goes, I'll double it and I'll throw one more in for good measure. What, what about that, Jesus? Look how holy I am. What do you think? Like a seventh time, you gotta imagine all the other disciples are like rolling their eyes at just like, okay, Peter, overachiever. Like, okay, great, great, great. And look at Jesus' response. He says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, some of you are really good at math and you're like 490 times I'm supposed to forgive somebody. Well, I know that person. I've already forgiven them at least 248 times. So I got another. No, listen, Jesus is not actually talking about a specific number. Jesus is making a point that, come on, I want you to forgive without limit. Like if you are forgiving with the idea of keeping count or keeping track of how many times you've forgiven that person, you're kind of missing the whole point because I'm holding on to offense. Like I'll say, I'll forgive you up to a certain point and then I won't forgive you anymore. And can I just tell you, this response would have blown their minds. This is different than what we're raised in and what we saw. Yeah, okay, we forgive people three times, but, but without measure? Like, how do we even do that? Like, where do we even start with that? How do we quantify that? And Jesus, in the midst of their confusion, begins to tell them a story. And he tells them a story about a king or, or a master in some translations, it says, who had many servants and many servants owed him debt. And one day he calls into account all of his debts. He says, hey, listen, if you have outstanding debt to me, you need to pay it now. Well, it says there was one servant in particular who owed, and the translation says, millions of dollars, like soul crushing, I can't pay this back kind of debt. And back then, defaulting on a loan or bankruptcy was really clear cut. It was like, okay, you can't pay, so we're going to sell you and your kids and all your belongings and everything that you have so that we can recoup the loss of you not being able to pay us. And this is where we pick up. Watch, watch what it says here. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Like, give me more time. Like, give me more time and I will repay the debt to you. And the master was filled with pity for him. And he released him and forgave his debt. His master was full of pity for him in this moment and realizes something. You're asking for more time to pay something that quite honestly, you're not gonna have the time to pay. Like this is soul crushing debt that you're talking about right now. One of the commentaries I read this week, and I missed it the first time I read this, was look at how generous the master is here. The man asks for more time. The master says, I'm canceling the debt because you can't pay it back. Like, like, like you want to, but you haven't up to this point. And let me tell you, you can't do that. So instead, I'm forgiving you of the debt that you have. Now, many of you, you've come to church before. Maybe you've read this story before. Jesus is talking about himself. Like he's, he's using this as an illustration, as a metaphor to say, listen, at one point in your life, you had outstanding debt. Like you were far from God. You were separated because of the sin. And there was no amount of time or things that you could do that would move you closer to God. So the book of Romans talks about how while we were still sinners, while we still had the debt, Christ came and died for us so that the debt would be erased. 
So Jesus is predicting right here and going, hey, listen, like this is why I've come, like right here, so you could experience forgiveness that's otherworldly that you've never experienced before. And he released him and he forgave his debt. And it's amazing. And it's this beautiful moment, right? And the disciples would have been watching this and seeing this and going, oh my gosh, like, that, yeah, that's a really cool story, Jesus. We should forgive without limit. That's awesome. And Jesus goes one step further and goes, hey, guys, the story's not done there. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Some of you, you're not good with money or math. A million dollars is a lot. thousand dollars is less than a million dollars. Does this make sense? We're, we're tracking along today. A few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Look familiar? Be patient with me and I will pay it back, he pleaded. Like, like give me some more time. Almost word for word, the exact interaction that he had just had with the king. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were upset. They were riled up. They're like, wait a minute. We just saw this incredible act of mercy. And now you're holding this person to this incredibly hard standard that wasn't even held to you. And so they were mad. And so what did they do? They went and they told the king everything that had happened. Then the king called the man he had forgiven. And he said, you evil servant. Like you evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Like, did it not stir something in you? Did it not move something within you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison. Remember that word, we're gonna come back to that. To be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And if you're a disciple, you're listening to this, you're going, Jesus, this is not the most uplifting story you've ever told us before. Like, this isn't multiplying fishes for food. Like, this is, this is serious, Jesus, why are you being so serious? Like, like why, wow, that story took like an M. Night Shyamalan turn, like right there. To, like, what, what happened? And Jesus finishes it, and he says it this way. He says, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and your sisters yeah. from your heart. Yes. From your heart. Jesus is so serious about this. There's so many words that pop out to me. One of the ones that sticks out to me the most, he says, if you don't forgive them from your heart, like if you don't, earnestly forgive them. Not just like with your lips or lip service. Come on, like we all do. It's like, it's fine. It's okay. It's all good. No, don't worry about it. It's fine. It's okay. I'm good. We're good. We're good. We're good. And your folded arms and your, your furrowed brow says something different, right? If I don't forgive from my heart, come on, then how am I expecting my father in heaven to forgive me? Who forgave me of way more than the person that has debted me? If you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Jesus is commanding this, saying like, listen, this is like non-negotiable. Like you wanna be associated with me, you want my forgiveness, then it's directly correlated to how well you forgive other people. This is the whole verse that we've been looking at this entire series, so much hinges upon this. The book of Ephesians talks about the same command. This, this command is all throughout scripture. And it says this, let all, what's this word? Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. There's that word that we were just talking about. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiving one another. Like, like, this is how you used to be. This is how the world treats people. I'm asking you to treat somebody differently in light of the amazing grace that you've received, right? This uh, song, we've, we've sung it in church forever. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me. It was penned by somebody who understood I had a crazy debt that I could not pay. 
God, you paid it for me and amazing grace has set me free. And now that grace that I've received, received is transferred out to the people around me. Instead of treating people with bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and contempt and all the kinds of things, now I have the ability to be tenderhearted and to be kind to one another and forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. And some of you go, well, Nick, I'm not Jesus. So guess what? I can't do this. Can I just show you? I'm so glad that they put this part in here at the end because this is the model of where we're headed. As Christ gave you, like, like use this as a benchmark and example. You understand something so clearly about God's character in the last part of this verse. As Christ, before you were ready, forgave you. One of the commentaries I read this last week said it this way. They said, when we forgive, we move closer to being like God. Does that make sense? Like the character of God is forgiveness. And so when I forgive, man, I'm becoming more like Christ. Like I'm stepping into what he's called for me. When, when I freely forgive all, every and all offense, man, I'm moving closer to the person that God has called me to be. Like the person that he destined me to be. And while that's really inspiring, the other thing that it does, it makes me go, man, if I'm stepping away from that and I'm holding on to bitterness, I'm holding on to unforgiveness, then is it possible that I'm stepping away from the person that God has called me to be? Like God wants me to forgive, but by holding on to bitterness, I'm stopping myself from doing this. In this verse is so much intention and purpose. And really it's the big idea of the whole day today that forgiveness isn't something we do, but come on, it's who we're called to be. That if you would say, I've been purchased by the blood of Christ, that then that interaction would morph and permeate into every interaction that we have, and we would forgive as we have been forgiven. I think what's so interesting, what's so interesting about this is that I think while many of us, like we read scripture and we see that, come on, forgiveness is sometimes something that we do. It's something that we choose to give and something that we can choose not to give. And what I think is so interesting about that, we, we read that, and I think it, one of the things that stuck out to me the most in that passage is this idea of, then the master took him and put him in prison. But if you actually look at it, come on, it was the man's inability to forgive that put him in prison. Come on, it, was, it, it wasn't that the master put him in there. The master didn't have to put him in there. It was this, I refuse to forgive the debt of somebody else to me, and he ended up in a prison. You following me? Let me ask you this, why do we put people in prison? To limit them to limit their interactions, to stop them from going places we don't want them to go. Every hour of the day is accounted for, and there are some things you can't do, and there are some things that you can't do. Let me, friends, let me tell you this. We are called to forgiveness because we are called to freedom. Like we're called to be free in Christ. And yet for some of us, we are limiting ourselves, the person God has called us to be, by the unforgiveness that we're harboring and we're holding onto. We're living in, uh, I heard a pastor this week say, a prison of offense. And come on, it's limiting me in so many different ways. And, and some of you go, well, how is it limiting me? Like, is this really a big deal? It might be limiting you more than you even think right now. One of the ways it limits, can we just be real? It limits me first and foremost. Like it actually stops me from becoming the person that God's called me to be. If God says, forgive as Christ has forgiven you, when I willingly choose to harbor unforgiveness and bitterness, I'm stepping away from the person God's called me to be. And in psychological terms, we would say that, come on, anxiety that's not dealt with, things that aren't dealt with, and the unforgiven baggage that's not dealt with always leads to it coming out sideways. And I do things that I would never do in my right mind because anxiety makes me stupid. And so, come on, I've got unforgiveness, and then somebody comes along and triggers that in me and watches. I spew that out on my wife, and I spew that out on my kid, and I spew that off on the dog. The dog can't even talk to me, and I'm spewing it out on the dog. 
All kinds of stuff, right? And it comes out sideways. And let's be clear, this isn't just psychology. Some of you are like really nervous that this is progressive Christianity. That's not that, okay? Can I just, too real for Sunday morning? Okay, great. Let, let me go one step further. It says in the book of Psalms, then I realized my heart was bitter. Like my heart was bitter. I had bitterness all in there and I was all torn up from the inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Come on, anybody in some unforgiveness before ever done something that you go, man, I was just, I don't know what took over me. I don't know what happened. Come on, when I harbor bitterness, I'm not just stepping away from God, but I'm limiting myself. And I shouldn't be surprised that if I'm limiting myself, watch as this begins to limit my relationships with others. Because if I'm holding on to baggage and, and bitterness and anger from yesterday, I shouldn't be surprised when that begins to spew over into every relationship that I have with my kids, with my wife, with my parents, with my coworkers, with my employees. Because Colin, you know this, unsettled unforgiveness, what does that do? It makes me demanding because I'm owed something. And it may not even be you that I'm angry with, but come on, you owe me something too. It makes me cynical. Well, I've been hurt before, so I've, I gotta be careful because I'm gonna get hurt again someday, right? It makes me anxious. Come on, it, it keeps me in this prison of offense and it doesn't just affect past relationships, but all future relationships. That's why this whole series, can we talk about this, has led to this point right now. Because all of our relationships, a lot of times what gets us in trouble Come on, it's unforgiveness that's not been dealt from from yesterday. Unforgiveness with a parent. Unforgiveness with a previous boyfriend or girlfriend. Unforgiveness from a previous marriage. And we're wondering why it keeps going wrong. Because I'm stuck in a pattern. Let me give you the last one. Is that it not only limits my relationship with others, but come on, it limits my relationship with God. And some people go, well, how with God? Like God, we just sang that song, the reckless love. It chases me down. It finds me till I'm found. Yeah, we're not talking about God moving away from you. We're talking about you moving away from God. And we're talking about this idea that when I choose to harbor unforgiveness, I'm actually getting the order of me and God out of, out of alignment. Yeah. If you've gone through our freedom uh, groups, which you so should, can I just encourage you to do that? One of the first things we learn is that the very first temptation in the Bible is not to just eat fruit. God is pro-fruit, okay? He's pro-potassium. Some of you write that down in your notes. God, God likes fruit. He made it. The first temptation in the Bible is, hey, if you eat this, come on, you will be like God. Like, did God tell you you couldn't eat this? Of course he told you that because he doesn't want what's best for you. You eat this and you will be like God. You'll know right from wrong. You'll be able to make all your own decisions. You'll be able to know, hey, this person deserves forgiveness and this person doesn't deserve forgiveness. Do you see the pride that's in this? The first temptation in the Bible is not about eating some fruit, but it's about pride, about, hey, I don't need God to tell me who I should forgive and who I shouldn't, but come on, like the evil servant, I'm gonna get mine. And come on, I, I, I can hold this person in content. I love the way that C.S. Lewis says this. He says it's so good. He says, unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison to pride. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is, complete, is the complete anti-God state of mind. It's this idea of I'm God and I don't need God to tell me what to do. And can I just tell you, as a loving father, Man, God wants more for you than to just be stuck in this prison of offense where you're easily offendable, where, where, where something could set you off, where it's just triggered. God wants you to be free. God wants you to be able to look at people and, and forgive freely and willingly and, and easily. And can I just be really clear about something? Some of you are like still on the fence about forgiveness because Nick, if I forgive them, am I letting them off the hook? Am I saying it's not a big deal? Am I saying that it's okay what they did to me? Come on, the pain is real. Am I, uh, am, I, am I smothering conflict by just letting it go and not doing that? 
Am I uh, letting them off the hook? Can I tell you this? It's none of those things. It's not even reconciliation. That's an entirely different thing. No, look at this. The goal of forgiveness is peace. And some of y'all need peace. The goal of forgiveness is that I could step into the life that God has called me without carrying the things that were once attached to me. That I wouldn't be in a prison of offense, but that, come on, I would realize that forgiveness is the key. And if I had forgiveness and I could willingly and freely forgive somebody, then it lets go of the power that I have given them over me. I heard somebody say it one time, bitterness, unforgiveness, it's like lighting yourself on fire and hoping the other person dies of smoke inhalation, right? I got tons of these. I could keep going all day on this, right? It's like, it's like drinking rat poisoning and waiting for the rat to die, right? Like all these, that's what unforgiveness is like though. And we harbor this and we hold on to this. And God wants more for you than that. And I know the question that gets asked is, okay, well, God, if you want more for me than that, you don't want me to live easily offended. God, you weren't offended by me. In fact, you came and died for me while I was offensive. Yes. How do I do this? Like, how do I practically put this into place? Like, how do I do this? And before we ever get to the how, I want to stop real quick because I believe there are two things that like some of you, most of you, all of you, I'm just gonna say all of you, all of you are really, really smart, okay? <laughs> really, really smart. And I think some of us, we know this, but we don't do this. Like we know this, but we don't do this. I think there are two things that stop us. One is that if we were really real, come on, we have faced some trauma in life. You may not name it or label it trauma, but you've experienced some sort of trauma that at some point along the line, somebody hurt you and you got stuck. And you got stuck and you might be in your 30s, but there's a 13-year-old wounded kid driving behind the wheel. And so I can entertain this conversation up to a certain point and then I get stuck again. And I go, man, I can't, I can't talk about this anymore. And, and I can't forgive that person. And I can't let it go. Can I tell you the most courageous thing that you could do in a conversation like this is to invite somebody in and say, hey, listen, this is not where I want to be, but I don't know how to get from here to there. Will you help me process this in a godly biblical way? Some of you, the next step is saying, hey, I've got bitterness and I don't know how to get rid of it. And I've got some trauma that I got to unpack and I've got to deal with. And it might be sitting down with a counselor and talking with somebody. Can I tell you, come talk to one of us pastors here at Heartland. We have a whole pastoral care team that would like to talk to you or help at least point you in the right direction. Stop by the information desk on the outside. Put it in the chat. If you don't want to put it in the chat, DM us and just say, hey, I'm, I'm interested. How do I get help? I don't, want to be, I don't want to be in the prison of offense. How do I get past the trauma that I have? And the second one is that I think we're lacking practical skills on how do we do this. Jim Harrington, he's one of our covering pastors here at Heartland. He said something that just, it changed my mind on this a couple months ago. And he said this idea of that there's this theology out there that if I know what Jesus says and I pray hard enough, I will just wake up one morning and do it. And I'll have it and I'll be a master of forgiveness and it'll work and the fruits of the spirit are just gonna flow out of me. It'll be a fruit buffet up in here. Like I'll just be getting them all out. And the reality is this, is that if, if I believe that and I don't do that, then either something's wrong with me or something's wrong with God. And that's dangerous. And can I tell you, Jim would say it this way, and I think it's so good. He would say, faith is expressed when I acknowledge the gap in my walk with Christ of who I am right now and who God has called me to be. And instead of just going, man, I didn't get it right, man, I take it and I learn in the rear view mirror and I go, you know what? Whoa, time out. I got bitterness. This isn't who I'm called to be. God, you're making me a new creation. And I take a step towards who God's calling me to be. And then I fail again. And I reassess and I go, God, you're, you're trying to teach me something, show me something. And yeah, that bitterness, it's clear now. Like I can, I can step in and I can do this. I say this to say, some of you are going to hear this and go, that's awesome. And then you're going to walk out of here and somebody's going to cut you off in the parking lot and you're going to feel like the bitterness 
is going to rise. And I wonder what would it be like if today you let go of the idea that you can learn without failure. That come on, I could, I could have bitterness and see it, but God, come on, you're transforming me into somebody. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and active in me. And God, you're making me a new creation. I'm not there, but I'm working on it. And I'm headed there. I want to talk real quick. How do we enter into the process of forgiveness? With those two things in mind, how do we enter into a process? Not a destination. Like how do we get to a point where we're just forgiving everybody? How do I work this process and pave a runway for the Holy Spirit to work in me and allow me to be free of the things from yesterday? How do we do that? First one is this. To start this process, I need to actually acknowledge the real offense. The real offense. I wonder for how many of us, the reason why we have a hard time with people, why it feels like we're holding on to unforgiveness, is because we don't have actual clarity of what the offense is. I think for some of us, we do a couple different things. We go all or nothing thinking, and so somebody becomes their offense. So when I see that person, I'm immediately, well, they did this, and they always do that, and they never do this, and they never gave me that, and this is how they'll always be. And I wonder what it would look like if we were able to just stop and process and go, wait, just a second. They were made in the image of God. Even though they hurt me, they're made in the image of God. Separate the offense from the person and go, what, what do I actually feel owed? Like, where, where have I gone off the rails in this? What, what's, my, my dad talks about it this way. It's, it's SBI, this idea of situation, behavior, impact. But what's the situation that occurred? What was the behavior that was exhibited? And what was the impact on me as that happened? SBI, what, like, like, what was that? I think some of us, we have unresolved hurts for, from such a long period of time that we don't even know what we're upset about now. But I know that that boss is just the worst. And I don't know why that boss is the worst, but they're just the worst, man. And some of you go, well, how do I even do that? Like, Nick, I don't have time to go to the bathroom these days, let alone sit down and process my feelings and think through, like, where, where am I at? I'm going to tell you, this is why solitude with God matters so much. Why getting a few minutes every single day in the presence of God, shutting off the phone, getting away from the distractions, and coming before God, why it matters so much. Because can I tell you, it's in the still, small, quiet places that the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you. And does two things. The first thing it does is that it right-sizes who's on the throne of my life. Come on, how much of my unforgiveness and my bitterness is because I have placed myself above that person? So I just get to judge you. When I enter into the presence of God, I sit there, I go, wait a minute. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. God, you forgave me. God, you forgave me. And I got to start here. And the second thing that it does is it allows the Holy Spirit to speak to me. Let me tell you, you get into God's word and you open it up. Watch as God's word begins to open you up. Hallelujah. And you read something. Listen, the word of God is not like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. It's not, like just, it's not just a good book, but come on. It's the living word of God. And it speaks to us. And when I open it up, watch as it just searches me and it knows me. Some of you may go, man, I don't even know what I'm upset about, but I'm upset about this or this or this. Watch. As you open up the word of God and you pray this prayer to Psalm 139, it's so good. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Like, God, I don't know why I'm anxious or why I'm stressed out or why I've got all this stuff going on. But God, you do. You formed my heart. You made me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path to everlasting life. Like, that's my goal is pursuing you. I don't want to be in a prison of offense anymore. But God, I don't even know how I got in the prison of offense. And so would you make it so abundantly clear to me how I got there and what's going on inside of me? Can I tell you, I do this almost daily and almost daily. I need this because I wake up in the morning and I wish I could tell you that I wake up just going like, praise God from, like, I, I don't wake up that way. Maybe you do. If you do, come talk to me in the lobby. Like, I don't wake up that way. 
I wake up going, man, what? Look at all this stuff I got to do today. I got to do this and this and this. And I got, and now the dog won't even go out to go to the bathroom. And like all this, I'm frazzled. And I sit down and I get in the presence of God and I go, whoa, time out, time out. Slow down. Turn down the, turn down the noise. Turn down the distraction. God, you're on the throne of my life. And search me, oh God, and know me. And watch as God begins to reveal, hey, maybe it's because you feel like you're owed this. Or maybe somebody hurts you because of this. Some of you know very clearly. Some of us don't know. And can I tell you, I have a pastor I respect. He said it this way. This search me, oh God, and know my heart. While it's a beautiful prayer, it's one of the hardest prayers that we'll pray. Because I believe, it says in scripture, when you seek God with all your heart, you will find him. And so watch as you pray this prayer and God all of a sudden starts hitting you with a two by four. And you're like, whoa, time out. I got bitterness over here. Like nobody prays this prayer in the morning. It's like, search me, oh God, point out. And, and just confidently convict me this morning. I need it with my coffee. Like, help me. But when I pray, come on, the goal is not comfort. The goal is moving out of the prison of offense into the future that God's called me to. And so I go, God, search me and know my anxious heart. When I get real and I acknowledge the offense, and two more minutes on this because it's worth it. Maybe you're like me and you try to play in front of God sometimes. And I'll be stressed out about something, but I'll get in. And for some reason, I just think that God only wants to hear my praise. So it's be like, God, you're good, you're awesome, you're, you're mighty. And internally, I'm like, and I'm stressed out about this, this, and this, and this. God can handle your pain. You know this? He can handle you where you're at. You informing God of the offense is not informing of it. Like, like he's not surprised by it. He already knows about it. And so all you're doing is you're taking it to him and you're going, God, this is, this is where I'm at right now. And come on, watch as God meets you right where you're at. It's acknowledging the real offense. And when I acknowledge it, Watch as the Holy Spirit begins to point some stuff out and gives me an opportunity to do this, to repent of my unforgiveness. And some of you read that and that hooks you or triggers you because you're like, Nick, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. The other person did the wrong. They hurt me. They, they injured me. They, they did bad to me. They did wrong to me. I'm, I'm hurt by them. And can I tell you really clearly, it is not a sin to be hurt. It is not a sin to feel pain. It's not a sin to feel like you've been taken advantage of. It is not a sin to feel what you're feeling. What is a sin is when I allow the seeds of bitterness to take root in my heart and it takes me further from the person God's called me to be and it sets me on the judge's seat. You see what I'm saying? And so you sit there and you go, whoa, 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 time out, time out, time out. Like I don't, scripture's really clear. Don't allow a foothold for the devil in your life. And that starts by acknowledging that, yeah, I may not have, caused the offense, I may not even be responsible for the offense, that that person might have intentionally done me harm and evil. But God, after I survey myself and you search me, I notice that I've got some unforgiveness that I've been harboring. And God, because you've, like you've greatly forgiven me, I can now forgive others. And it starts with me coming back and asking for forgiveness. God, I'm sorry for doing this. I, I know that this word, maybe you're like me, or, or maybe you're like somebody in here that, and you don't know what this word repent means. Uh, we have a young lady on our student staff that taught on Wednesday night at our student night. Twice or once a month on the second Wednesday of every month, we do student night here in this room. And we had this, uh, we had this girl on our staff that got up here and taught and she crushed it. Oh my gosh, if you don't have a kid that's going to student night, send them to student night. It was so good. I'm sitting over here going, come on, like just fired up by a 20-year-old girl that's l- l- teaching kids about Jesus. Beautiful. And she gets up there and she goes, guys, here's the truth. I did not grow up in church. And so when I started going to church in high school, I heard this word repent thrown around a ton and it was scary to me. Partially because I grew up hearing about church and so all I heard was repent or you're going to hell, repent or you're going to hell. And it was like this bad connotation. She goes, and then when I showed up at church, I was too afraid to ask because I didn't want to be the only person that didn't know. 
And she said, but as I started to discover this and I asked the right questions, I began to find out how beautiful repentance actually is. Repentance is this. God, I am moving towards bitterness and I see the fruit that the bitterness is causing in my life. And I don't like it. And and listen, I'm locked up in a prison of offense. And so God, I, I am actively saying that I'm sorry for holding this. And I turn and I walk towards the life that you've called me to. Like, I don't want to walk this way anymore. Repent just means I turn and I about face and I head towards the plans that God has for me. And can I tell you, God is so honored by that. Come on, by a humble and contrite heart that would say, listen, I've had so much pain propagated against me. And yet at the same time, in my sinful brokenness, I've been holding bitterness towards that person. And God, that's not okay. And so God, you don't, you don't say shame on you for doing that. You say, come on, we can do better. And I go, okay, God, I'm turning and I'm walking towards the glorious purpose that you have for me. I love how it says it in the book of Psalms. It says it this way. It says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Come on, someone who's held on to bitterness and unforgiveness for it, you know this feeling. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Like you forgave the, for the guilt of my sin. God, you called me to something greater and better than what I was currently experiencing honest question. I can't answer this for you. You need to answer it. Is there unforgiveness in your life that you would say, man, I've been hanging on to this and I need to be done with this. I need to be done with this. It's not making it better for me. And in fact, I think it might be robbing me from the potential and the blessing that God has for my life. Because instead of moving towards him, I'm moving away from him. I start by acknowledging the real offense. And once I get really clear on that, I look at my part and go, God, I need to repent of my, my, uh, my, I need to repent of my bitterness. I need to repent of my unforgiveness and move towards you. And the third is this, is that I trust it to God. I trust it to God. Now, at the risk of this sounding like something you'd put on a Christian coffee mug, uh, because some of you are like, really trust it to God? That's it? Cool, Nick. Thanks for it. Like that was worth coming for today. Trust, trust it to God. Sometimes when we hear trust it to God, we hear, hey, don't be upset about it and don't think about it ever again. Just forget it that it ever happened and give it to God. You can't forget it. Like if you could, you would. What he's talking about though, and what we're talking about here is this, is that God, I trust that you are who you say you are and you are a better judge than I am. Amen. You remember a couple weeks ago, my, my dad, he taught in this Lord's Prayer series and he had the giant cube up here, you know what I'm talking about? And it had the different characteristics of God, all equal, all important on all different sides. Come on, God is all loving, but he is all justice. And that's the kind of God that you want. Sometimes we fall into this trap where it's either God is all love or he's all wrath and envy. And no, 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 no. Look what it says in scripture. It says this, behold, beloved, that's you, that's me. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Come on, God is all love, all comfort, all vengeance and wrath. Come on, it's the kind of God you want that doesn't just turn a blind eye to the things that that have happened against you but instead advocates on your behalf and goes, no, no, listen, I'm omnipresent. Nothing escapes my sight. I see it. I know the things that have been propagated against you and I am working together all things for the good of those who love me. And so when I say trust it to God, what it means is this, is instead of when I get offended sitting there and mauling it over and thinking through, man, they hurt me this way and I write stories and I get hijacked by it and I, and I, and I just, God, why is this happening? Instead, I pause and it's a different attitude. The God goes, God, I don't know why it happened, but I'm not getting into the weeds of this because you see it and you know it and you're working in me and come on, the promises that you have for me are always yes and amen. 
And so God, you're trying to do something inside of me. Like I, like I trust you. And, and, and because I don't have to take vengeance like culture does, right? Come on, that's what you see. Because I don't have to take vengeance. On the contrary, if my enemy's hungry, I'm going to feed him. And if he's thirsty, I'm going to give him something to drink. For by doing so, what? I'll be heaping burning coals on his head. Yes. And some of you just set up and you're like, I can get on board for that. Like, <laughs> hot coals, cool. Not like I'm going to go get them back or I'm going to get them even. No, no, no. This is God working through them when you forgive. This is you going, hey, I know that you've wronged me and you've hurt me. But look what I'm going to do in spite of the wrongs that you've done for me. Because of what Christ has done for me, watch as now that I've repented of my unforgiveness and I've allowed the Holy Spirit to come and work in my life, watch as I now have capacity to do things that I didn't even think that I could ever do. My enemy's hungry, I can feed him. He's thirsty, I'm going to give him some water. I'm going to give him something to drink. And by doing so, watch as God begins to convict that person. And you say, well, well what if that person never changes? Forgiveness is not about the other person. Forgiveness is about you. Come on, the goal is peace. The goal is freedom. Come on, even people that don't follow God know this. Nelson Mandela, years and years ago, he was in prison for 27 years. Can I just right size this for you? Some of you are going to be shocked by this. I'm 28 years old. That's as long almost as I've been alive. In prison, abused, hurt, forgotten, rejected, pushed away. Come on, racially abused. And he's released from prison and he steps into the presidency and he unites two groups of people that hate each other, that have had years and years of generational turmoil and baggage and, and pulls them together. And years later, they ask him, they say, what was going through your mind when you walked out of that prison cell? And he said it this way. He goes, I knew that if I didn't leave my bitterness and my hatred behind, I would never get out of prison. I'd be in prison the rest of my life. And so instead of carrying that with me, Man, I leave it because the future before me is greater than the future behind me. In light of what Christ has done for me, I cannot forgive. I love how Pastor Andy Stanley says it this way. He says, in the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. God, you've called me. God, you've chosen me. All the weeks in this series matter. I am known by God and I know about God. And God, you've given me purpose and ability. God, you've led me through every season of my life. It's not been an accident or a coincidence. And you're calling me into something greater and deeper even right now. And in the shadow of my own pride, yeah, I can't forgive people. But in the shadow of the cross of what Jesus has done for me, I find new strength to forgive people for things that I can't forgive otherwise. And I know even as we talk about it, some of you go, Nick, but you don't know what they did to me. You don't know the pain that they caused me. You don't know the hurt and the things that I carry. I don't think I can forgive them. And can I just spoil it for you? You can't. Happy Sunday. Everybody go home. It's going to be a great week. No. Can you imagine if that's how we ended? That'd be terrible. You can't. No, listen, you don't need more tips on how to forgive. You don't need more practices. You don't need more meditations. You need an encounter with the Holy Spirit that does more in you than you can do by yourself. Look what it says in the book of Ezekiel. It says this, and I will put my spirit in you and move you. Like give you more capacity. This whole series we've been talking about, you don't just need rest, but you need rest so that you can run. Like I'm gonna give you more than you even think so that you can follow my decrees and you be careful to keep my laws. Notice the subject. I will put my spirit in you, in you. 
and watch as you are someone who says, man, I acknowledge the offense and I step in. Remember we talked about faith is the gap between where I'm at and where God is taking me to. As I come on, as I take steps towards it, step towards it, watch as God begins to soften my heart. Watch as I become less and less offendable. Watch in the face of great offense that I'm able to give forgiveness freely and openly to anybody and everybody that comes against me. I'll end with this. One of my favorite quotes is this from David Wells. It says, holding a grudge doesn't make you strong. It makes you better. Forgiving doesn't make you weak. It sets you free. Come on, the goal of forgiveness is freedom. You have a God that came and died for you so that you could be free. Come on, in the prison of offense, the key is forgiveness. And I believe this, if you pursue God with your whole heart, come on, you allow him into every area of your life. You say, God, I'm holding unforgiveness and I don't know how to get rid of it. You draw close to people in this room. Come on, you draw people close to family online. You, you draw close to people that are pursuing God as well. And watch as God begins to soften your heart, give you capacity beyond what you can do and step into the freedom that he's called you to. Great you received this this morning? Great word, great word. Good. Awesome. Let me pray for us. Father God, I love you, and God, I thank you for this day. God, I'm amazed at your forgiveness that you've given to us. God, and how freely you forgave us. God, I thank you for the example that you set of how we can forgive. And God, I thank you that there's not been one thing that we've gone through that you didn't go through. God, you've seen it and you know it. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters this week in this room and watching online, God, Lord, I ask that in this moment, God, I ask that you would give us capacity beyond ourselves when it comes to our relationships. God, would we be the humble, helpful servants of all who would go and freely forgive as we have been freely forgiven. And I know in a room this size and with an online audience the size that we have, there's somebody that's sitting here and going, Nick, but the, the person I can't forgive, it's, it's not anybody else, it's me. I can't forgive me. I, I, I've made too many mistakes. I've let down my own standards, let alone that of a perfect, holy God. And it says in scripture that Jesus came not to bust the door on your life, but that he would knock. And if you would just open the door, come on, he would come in and he would give you new life and new purpose and new understanding. And he'd give you capacity beyond yourself. And come on, if that's you today and you're sitting here, you're watching online, you go, God, I need that kind of life with you. I don't want to live the way that I've been living, but I want to do something different. Come on, we're seated with every head bowed, every eye closed, just between you and God right now. You say, I want to pray that prayer. Raise your hand in this room. I want to pray for you right now. Come on, declare it all across this room. Yeah, up in the front, in the back, all across the room. Come on, online, you're watching online. Raise your hand in your living room. Say, enough's enough. I'm done with the bitterness. I want to be better, not bitter. That's amazing. Come on, if you got your hand to praise this prayer with me, say, Father God. God, I'm sorry for doing things my own way, for holding you at a distance. But God, today I ask that you would come into my life. Thank you for sending your son to die for me and to give me new life. Father, God, I thank you for every person that just prayed that prayer. God, I thank you for the new life that they have in you. And God, that it's a life without limit. God, that you're, you're doing more than we could ask or imagine. And God, I pray in this moment God, that they would experience you in a fresh and tangible way today. God, that you would move in their hearts. God, that even in the moments following this service, God, they would walk lighter and freer knowing that, God, they are yours and you're with them. We love you, Father. We praise you. We thank you in advance for all that you're going to do through these people in this room and watching online. To your name we pray. Amen. 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 Come on, let's celebrate. Everybody just made that prayer. Love you guys. Amen. Amen.